Algar Productions. Algar Productions presents Sarcastic Voyage Theatre. Vintage style radio with a modern comedic sensibility. Featuring the unparalleled talents of the world-renowned Sarcastic Voyage unpaid voice acting players. And now, the radio adventures of Dottie. Delicious puffed rice cereal presents the radio adventures of Dottie. In our last episode, Dottie, the stalwart young sidekick to MUCUS adventurers Matt and Algar, began a quest to free them from the clutches of the sinister robot smith. But upon arriving at the Metropolitan Headquarters of her new ministry sponsor, Professor Farrell, Dottie discovers that some heroes have very different priorities than what she's accustomed to. And now, today's adventure, The Man of Molybdenum. Uh, what... What is it? Good morning, Team Farrell. It's 0500 and you know what that means. I'm not sure that I do. It's time to recite the Team Farrell Loyalty Pledge. Now then, everyone, on your feet. He can't be serious. This means you too, new recruit. How can he... I... We have cameras in all your rooms. That's a little... unsettling? And probably illegal. And microphones too. Now hop to it. There's nothing more exciting than the sound of you reciting. Right. Ready? Here we go. I shall endeavor to dedicate my life... Uh, read along, young daddy. We've left a copy of the oath on your bedside table. There's a good cadet. I shall endeavor to dedicate my life to the greater good of Team Farrell to the best of my ability. And if my best should not prove good enough, I shall endeavor to improve. Team Farrell is my family. And Professor Farrell, magician, scientist, inventor, mystic, detective, brain surgeon, is my father. Now and always? Excellent. Now then, as you all know, the next 90 minutes will be devoted to our vigorous calisthenics routine. And don't think of dilly-dallying, any of you. Remember, Professor Farrell sees you. Which is definitely completely normal and not at all weird. Something to share with the team, no recruit? No, sir. Ready to start those calisthenics. That's more like it. Right. We'll start with a thousand jumping jacks. But I want you all to count off using prime numbers. Surely you all know the first thousand prime numbers. Ready? Begin. Two, three, five, seven. And release. <sighs> now then, holding your breath for three minutes concludes this morning's physical regimen. I will now be releasing the safety locks on your doors. I was locked in here? Please put on your uniforms and muster in the common area in one minute. Okay, that's definitely enough of this. I'm gonna go talk to... Oh, Professor Farrell, good. I wanted to talk to you about- You're out of uniform, cadet. What? No, I'm not. This is my ministry-issued flight suit. Precisely. I'm certain I told you when you arrived here that your M-U-C-U-S attire would no longer be suitable. You've been issued an official Team Feral jumpsuit, and- Is that where you put my gear? You mean those unauthorized weapons and tools you were carrying? Right. My M-U-C-U-S field kit. Again, I think you're fixating on the ministry a bit too much. Team Farrell's authority supersedes theirs, and- With all due respect, sir, I don't think any authority supersedes. And we do not allow contraband in the compound. Contraband? It was a standard field kit in my Sarcastier's decoder ring. Ha ha ha! 
Right, right. The adventurers you traveled with previously... Who are in serious trouble, by the way. ...had some pretty limited ideas when it came to fan clubs. I was the president of their fan club, and it didn't feel limited to me. Members of Team Feral don't get decoder rings or numbered badges. They're issued something much more valuable. Horses? What could be more valuable than a decoder ring? A sense of belonging. Of complete devotion to a cause. And now, to that end, let's introduce you to the gang. To the cult, more like. What was that, young Dottie? Nothing, sir. Please introduce me to... Oh, there are a lot of people here. There sure are. Team Feral is serious business, and each team member holds down an essential job. There's Hamstring, he's our tax accountant. Hiya. Dr. Von Stroheim, astrophysics. A stitch in time saves nine. Wait, what? Quiet. There's Rando, our expert plumber. E pluribus unum. That's Hammy, our licensed pilot. Glad to know ya. Oh, this is Banjo Dave. He's a dairy farmer who moonlights as a cab driver. Zounds. Hamhawk over there is our gourmet chef. Yeah, how you doing? This is Tiny Steven. The best backgammon player this side of the Peruvian Andes. It's a living. That's Rilla, knife sharpener, and sometimes corporate lawyer. And how? Mustn't forget my lovely half-sister for Jennifer Farrell. We call her Snail Tooth. For reasons that should be obvious. Sure. And finally, this strapping young fellow is Hamburger Sandwich. He serves as team captain in my absence. And he's also the most junior member of our crew. Well, until you arrived. I'd shake your hand, miss, but I think I might have come down with something. So there you are, Dottie. Team Feral. An elite, hand-picked team devoted to fighting evil in whatever form it might take. Great. Nice to meet you all. I'm glad you mentioned fighting evil, because that's... Horses! What was that? Why, that was the breakfast alarm. It's nearly time to eat. Well, okay. I suppose I should get something in my stomach before we discuss- Ha ha ha! Not so fast, young lady. Before we do anything, we must recite the Team Feral Loyalty Pledge. Again? If you know a better way to inspire loyalty, I'd like to hear it. Well, you could just fight actual crime and- That was just an expression. I didn't really want to hear it. Now then, that's quite enough of this idle chatter. Now, dispense with the sass and commence with the mass. Reciting of the Loyalty Oath. Horses. I shall Now then, team, we have a special treat for your first meal of the day. Hot dog. <laughs> Hamburger sandwich, you rapscallion. Oh, shucks, chief. Who are these people? Our breakfast will not be served by the uniformed waitstaff, but instead by this mechanical man. Horses. That's my robot. Team Farrell does not believe in personal property. All material items belong to the collective. Great. So does that mean I can take one of those gold-plated biplanes I saw when I came in? Because I have an important <laughs> mission. Goodness, no. Those belong to the professor. <laughs> of course they do. While we haven't completely worked out how this contraption works, or why it says horses all the time. Horses! Right, that. What could that mean? I know exactly what it means. We have managed to get it to serve us food. For what is a machine than a device built by men to serve man? A friend, a partner, a better adventuring companion than you could ever be. Right, I'll be in the kitchen preparing my own special high-calorie super meal. Robot, serve Team Feral their breakfast gruel. What? 
Where does he go? What do you... The food is here. Tabulating. He appears to be crashing through that wall. That's the armory. Someone stop him. Horses. He's picking up that contraband. Put that down at once. Why, thank you, Mr. Robot. That field kit and decoder ring are my rightful property. I, uh... I guess it's time to recite the loyalty pledge again. Seems early, but who are we to question the alarm? I what goes on here? Why is that wall smashed down? And why aren't any of you doing anything about it? Stop them immediately! You can't just walk out of here like that. They're part of Team Feral. You're all part of Team Feral. Less reprising and more seizing. Her. Horses. I guess you should have taught those guys basic order taking instead of chanting and calisthenics. I'll bet the Colonel will definitely want to know all about what Professor Farrell is getting up to here. Hopefully the Ministry can use some of their de-brainwashing techniques to rescue those poor guys. So this is the Big Apple. I've never actually been here before, but I've heard the streets are arranged in a grid, so if we just head west, I'm sure we can- Horses! What is it? Horses! That giant crab is tearing apart the Chrysler building! Tune in again for our next exciting installment, The Deadly Crabs from Beyond the Moon, only on Sarcastic Voyage Theater. Like all wives and mothers, I use a lot of sugar. Whether it's the half cup I sprinkle on my kids' breakfast cereal to give them the extra pep they need, or the full cup I fold into every meatloaf, sugar is an essential ingredient in my kitchen. But I'm worried, as all Americans should be, that the sugar I'm using isn't American enough. Well, Mrs. Housewife, you're in luck. America brand Cuban sugar is the most patriotic sugar on the market. For what could be more American than that tropical paradise in the Caribbean, Cuba? Why, it's practically the 49th state. Yes, nothing says I support capitalism better than genuine Cuban sugar. America brand Cuban sugar. Ask for it by name. And now, with further thoughts and messages deemed too small for his weekly fireside chats, we present the President of the United States, Mr. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. According to the completely neutral and unbiased Roosevelt Press, the 1929 stock market crash was orchestrated and perpetrated entirely by Herbert Hoover in a black bandit mask. Octothorpe unbiased. Despite what you may have read in the pages of the failing Wall Street Journal, I had no foreknowledge of the despicable attack upon our fighting men at Pearl Harbor. Octothorpe no collusion. Not only is the failing Wall Street Journal morally bankrupt, but I have it on good authority that they will be fiscally bankrupt before my second term. Octothorpe implied threat. Removing your money from our financial institutions, which are the best in the world, would only cause further economic chaos. Our banks are not losers, nor should you be. Octothorpe, trust your banks. Never forget, measured socialism steered our country out of the bleak hopelessness of the Great Depression. Never again shall billionaire buffoons bamboozle our great nation. At all costs, the office of the president should never be a home for the sort of thick-witted fat cat that caused the Great Depression in the first place. Octothorpe, a country is not a business. 
Tiara Instructional Films presents Program 1 of our ongoing series of educational shorts. This installment is entitled, Talking to Your Children. Where's oh, my Mom, I'm home. Don't worry, I'm, I'm on it. I'm for <laughs> Mom, I'm Have you seen my baseball glove? Oh. Wearing too much weight? Of all the things our great nation does better than any other, family tops the bill. Yes, sir, no other sovereign power on this earth has a better handle on the concept of the healthy, productive, well-adjusted nuclear family than the U.S. of A. But this is not to say that the occasional obstacles don't arise. As boys and girls grow into men and, to a lesser extent, women, the ways they choose to express themselves can change dramatically. Nuts to your bushwa, I said. Now blow. What's eating you, Muffin? Usually you're full of spunk, but today you're all wet. Oh, dear. What in the world are they saying, Mother? <laughs> now relax, Mother and Dad. There's no need for emotion. Sonny and Dottery are simply communicating as they do with their contemporaries, using modern slang. A few quick and easy lessons should clear your confusion right up. Let's hear that again. Sonny first, since what he's saying is almost certainly more important. What's eating you, Muffin? Usually you're full of spunk, but today you're all wet. Sonny simply wants to know what's bothering his sister, to whom he affectionately refers as Muffin. This is a perfectly common thing for any brother to call his sister. He's concerned because she's typically full of energy and pep, but today she's crabby and out of sorts. We probably know what that's all about. Now let's hear what Dottery has to say, if we must. Nuts to your bushwai, said. Now blow. Dottery is relating an anecdote from earlier in her day, when she dismissed her conversational partner's nonsense, bushwa, and requested that they vacate, or blow, at once. Now let's hear some more. When Sun says, He's a good jerk, but today he was really hot-dogging. He's referring to the soda fountain operator, or jerk, at the local drugstore, which, as we all know, is a perfectly normal setting for the enjoyment of beverages. What could be more natural than an order of iced cream to go with your headache powders and home enema? Sonny is pointing out that the jerk was rather arrogantly showing off in front of his peers, a practice commonly known as hot-dogging. Again, this is all completely natural. Now when Daughter says, Ah, uh, they're a couple of boobs, but they do know how to scat. She means to say that the boobs to which she refers are persons not known for their intelligence. They do, however, possess a talent, if one can indeed call it that, for the nonsensical jazz vocalization technique known as scat. He tried to put the snatch on the dick by pulling a rod, but then he got licked right in the puss. Don't be intimidated, mother and dad. Sonny's describing a movie he's seen recently in which a criminal attempted to surprise a detective by pointing a gun at him. The criminal was then promptly punched in the face, as indeed all criminals should be. It can be noted that the use of the word dick here to mean detective is particularly common among aficionados of gangster pictures. And there are many types of dick that may be discussed. For instance, a house dick works in a hotel, a cinder dick works for the railroads, and so on along those lines. It's all completely logical, so don't let this veritable bag of dicks intimidate you. He was the cat's pajamas. Here, Dottery means to say that her conversational subject wore night clothes known as pajamas, imprinted with a feline pattern. If I were you, Dad, I'd be concerned that your young missy knows so much about boys' sleepwear. I said, let's go all the way. 
and that's how I slipped the Mickey into that pinko. Okay, parents, now I know that sounds bad, but don't you worry. Sonny is simply sharing a fine chocolate dessert topped with iced cream with his liberal friend as a means to subtly drug him. You know, as a joke. I know from experience that he's one hotsy totsy skin tickler. Dottery is relaying the experience of seeing her friend play the drums quite well. Whenever we get together, I end up just beating my gums with him until he decides it's time to blow. Sorry to say, parents, but if you hear this one, it might be time to have a serious chat with Sonny Boy. It seems he's been regularly meeting up with a certain male friend of his and engaging in idle chatter. Now let's hear one more pair of examples. The only clear path forward through the inevitable ruin of the working man is the stained and bloody revolution against the ruling class. The blood of the oligarchs and the smoldering ashes of the outmoded capitalist machine will one day nourish the mighty tree of collectivism. Well, now, there's absolutely no need for concern here. Mother and Dad, your children are simply taking an interest in civic affairs and should be encouraged to do so. So you see, by simply listening to your children, you'll find that communicating with them on their own terms is easier than you think. And now, the feature attraction of our program. It is said that in the rough and tumble world of private investigating, street smarts is preferred to book smarts. But the hero of tonight's story begs to differ. Introducing PhDPI in an adventure entitled A Considerable Torpor. The rain fell in sheets outside my office. It was the kind of rain that... No, I'm sorry. In, in point of fact, it would be extremely disingenuous of me to say that. It did drizzle a bit earlier, but that tapered off, and now while I would describe conditions as decidedly damp, it's not actually raining right now. I know it's customary for a private detective, or Seamus as we're sometimes called, to discuss the weather conditions in some detail prior to taking a case, and those descriptions inevitably seem to involve precipitation of some kind, but it can't always be raining, despite the misheld apprehensions many people have about this region. If you were to look at a graph of the cumulative rainfall in this city and compare it to, say, the Gulf Coast region... Oh, I think I may have a client. <clears throat> the woman... Pardon me, dame. Sorry, you don't mind me calling you a dame, do you? No? Excellent. Uh, I'll be just one more moment. The dame entered my office, her scent reminiscent of fresh lilac and something stranger, more elusive. I could have lost myself in a Proustian fugue attempting to parse the complex sense memory generated in that moment. Are you finished? Oh, <clears throat> yes, terribly sorry. Uh, Mortimer Dulcimer, private investigator, at your service. And sorry, to be clear, you are here for a private investigator, yes? That's right. My husband... It's just, I, I've had at least three other people walk in here expecting... Well, I'm not sure what they were expecting. Not me. I suppose it's not customary for a private detective to take an office on such a high floor. Yes, I did find that a little... Only I find that sort of dingy office that most people imagine a PI working out of to be highly impractical. I, I need room for my law books, my crime lab, the darkroom. This is a very nice office. Solid oak furniture, leather, upholstered seats... Is this pen gold? Well, gold-plated, yes. I, an actual gold pen would be exceptionally difficult to write with. You don't even have Venetian blinds. No, I, I find these curtains do a much more effective job of blocking out the unwanted light pollution that assorted neon signs adjacent to this building produce. Easier to clean, too. I suppose you have a girl come in every Thursday to keep things tidy. 
uh, Wednesdays, actually. <clears throat> you, uh, you got quiet, miss. Was there something... Didn't you notice me putting this cigarette into my mouth? Surely a private dick, such as yourself, would have observed... Oh, I saw. I was, if we're being entirely truthful, attempting to ignore it. Well, no. I can't think of why you'd do that. Why... why are you looking at me that way? I was hoping you might give me a light. Yes, well, you can't actually smoke in here. The aforementioned darkroom contains highly combustible chemicals, and I find it's just easier... Oh, come now, Mr. Dulcimer. May I call you Mortimer? <clears throat> Until we're better acquainted, Mr. Dulcimer might be more appropriate. Haven't you ever broken a rule before? I suppose I must have, inadvertently, at some point. But I've never done so consciously. That would, I believe, undermine my position as a duly deputized law enforcement official. People who try to control me tend to have very bad luck. Nonsense. Luck is just simply an imagined connection between random events. It's not a quantifiable phenomenon. Neither am I. I'm trouble. I see. If that's the case, miss, I suppose I'll have to ask you to leave. I... what? I run a reputable business here. If you're insinuating that you require my services for some illegal or immoral purpose... What kind of a private detective are you? The kind, miss... I'm sorry, this would go much easier for me if I had your name. Todlick. Mrs. Ursula Todlick. Thank you. <clears throat> well, Mrs. Todlich, I'm the kind of detective who received a doctorate in criminology and a double master's in pathology and chemistry. I'm fully accredited through the city, the county, and the state. And I've read untold volumes of case files. It's pronounced Todlick. How many cases have you worked before, Mr. Dulcimer? Officially? Uh, one. One case? Well, technically two, but they were both ride-alongs with an experienced officer who was, officially speaking, in charge of the case, so I count them each as half. What on earth is a ride-along? Oh, that's where a policeman or detective allows a citizen, typically one with an academic interest in policing, such as myself, to follow them discreetly and observe their work. Uh, quietly, of course. That, that part was emphasized repeatedly. With you, I just bet it was. I, I'm quite keen to get my hands dirty with some field work, however, provided it's reputable field work. <clears throat> Which brings us neatly to our earlier point, Mrs. Todlich. Are you here for a reputable reason? Todlick, and the reputablest. I'm not sure that's exactly a word, but I believe I take your meaning. We can't be inflexible when it comes to language, you know. Context is key. So, what's the job? It's my husband. I see. This would be Mr. Todlich, then? Has he gone missing? No, my deadbeat louse of a ball and chain is stepping out on me. Stepping out? Oh, you suspect infidelity? More than suspect. That's quite a serious allegation. I assume you have some proof to substantiate it? Well, no. That's why I'm here. I want you to find the proof. Oh, oh I see. Now my involvement in this affair becomes clear. If, if you'll pardon the unintentional pun. What are you... A affair. <laughs> Although we haven't proof at this stage, it would be more correct to say my involvement in this alleged affair. Well, once we have that proof, 
I can get a divorce, and then you're free to be as involved as you'd like. I should think that once I've provided you with the evidence of adultery with which you've potentially tasked me, my services would no longer be required. I'm sure we could find some additional services for you to provide. Well, I am a licensed notary, if you need to file any affidavits relating to the impending dissolution of your nuptials. I could show you my nuptials, if that would get you going. Uh, yes, I think a copy of your marriage certificate would be helpful. Just so we can be certain that everything's in order. Fine. Excellent. This card here explains my rates, which, uh, generally speaking, operate on a per diem basis with the standard addition of expenses. Sure. You know, film for my camera, cab fare if necessary. Fine, fine, I'll pay it. Can we just go? What, you mean now? Yes, my husband, Todd, is his name. Your husband's name is Todd Todlick? Yes, that's exactly it. It seems unlikely that your husband's parents would have been unaware of the redundancy of naming their son with the leading syllable of their surname, and unless, of course, they were deliberately seeking a sort of poetic repetitiveness for effect. Yes, that one. Poetic. Can we go now? My husband is going to be at the fights tonight. The fights? You mean boxing? Of course I mean boxing. What did you think I meant? <clears throat> I find that it's best not to assume. Of course you do. Yes, boxing. My husband is a boxer. Not one of the good ones, though. He usually goes up to kill some time before the main event later in the evening. Word is he's making time with some dumb Dora cigarette girl who works at the arena. This young woman's name is Dora? <sighs> no, that's... You know what? Maybe it is. <laughs> I'm hiring you to find out, all right? Can you just get whatever you need to help me catch him with this bear cat? That's just an expression. She's a human woman. So I can ditch this manacle on my ring finger and get on with my life. Certainly. Camera and coat. And? And, oh, of course, my hat. <laughs> this is 1938. A man doesn't go out in public without a hat. It simply isn't done. I meant a gat. Beg your pardon? A heater, a Roscoe, the thing that separates you from the other poor saps who ain't packing. A firearm? And here I had you figured for a sap. Yes, a firearm. Oh, I never carry one. I'm technically licensed to do so, but I can't imagine a scenario in which one would ever be required in this line of work. You really can't, can you? Did you know that the notorious gangster Al Capone... You've heard of Al Capone, haven't you? Of course I've heard of Al Capone. One can't assume. I can get quite carried away with my research. You don't say. And I don't ever like to presuppose that anyone I'm speaking to has the same exhaustive knowledge of criminal law as I have. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, Capone wasn't brought down with a firearm, Miss Todlick. No, I suppose he wasn't. They got him on tax evasion, didn't they? They did indeed. And that, in essence is my philosophy of law enforcement. I'm sure any hood you may run into who will be wearing iron would be happy to provide you with his 1040 in triplicate before he tries to plug you. A simple trip to City Hall would... Can we just beat it already? Quite a deft bit of wordplay there, as we're off to take in a bout of competitive pugilism. Lead on. I don't know why I assumed you'd know the way. Let's go. My word, this is even more alarmingly brutal than I'd have ever imagined. The left! Use the left! Murder that bum! 
dumb. Get off the ropes, you dumb palooka. Hey, don't you call him that. I got 20 bucks riding on that dumb palooka. That's a lot of money in 1938. I assume that fellow in the black trunks has been offered a sum that slightly exceeds his normal income to take or feign incompetence and, as they say, throw the fight. That fellow in the black trunks is my husband. And no, he's not getting any payoff. He's just bad at boxing. But that sort of thing does happen regularly in this sport, does it not? How would I know? It's just, I, I've read about that in so many case files and it would be extremely disheartening to discover that it wasn't actually true. Not that I want there to be crime happening, you understand. Oh, oh my, that looked extremely painful. I, I hope your husband is well out of that situation soon. Oh, he's out all right. And they'll drag what's left of him out of the ring in seven. seven. Eight, nine, ten! The winner and still champion! And this sort of thing happens in every boxing match, does it? Certainly every match that Todd fights in, yes. Is he going to be alright? That chippy up there seems to be asking the same question. Is that the young woman you suspect has an illicit involvement with your husband? The one who just set down her tray of lucky strikes and shoved her tongue down his throat? Yes. I see all of that schooling you had made you quite the detective. And they're just... my, they're just completely comfortable brazenly necking in front of all these people. Where did you learn a word like necking? Oh! Oh! Could you warn a girl before you set off a Roman candle directly in her line of sight? You wanted photographic evidence of your husband's infidelity, Miss Todlick. And that turned out to be much easier than expected, given their unapologetically public display and the completely rational expectation of the crowd that someone at this event might deign to snap a photo. This would appear to be, as the textbooks say, an open and shut case. Well, that's a feather in your cap. Oh yes, my hat! I nearly forgot. Once we get back to my office and the dark room they're in. We should be able to develop this picture and you'll have all the proof you need. Oh, hello? Todd. Yeah, that's right, Ursula. Todd, your husband. The man what you're married to in sickness or death do us part. Uh, actually, I believe you may have mangled the syntax of that common vow. That's rich coming from you. We saw you with that floozy in the ring. You'd have to have been loaded not to see it. I don't know what you think you've seen. Saw. But here's you with this wet sock when you're supposed to be waiting for me at home. I locked the door before I went out, Todd. And Mortimer here... Mr. Dulcimer, I'd like to keep this a professional relationship, if at all possible. Mr. Dulcimer here is a private detective I hired to prove what I already knew. Yeah, all I know is I'm gonna knock this wet smack's block off. Well, now which is it, Mr. Todlick? Am I a wet sock or a wet smack? Furthermore, I'd prefer it if you left my block where it is. Thank you. Todd, don't hurt him. He obviously doesn't have your arms. He can't defend himself. I'm perfectly capable of... Don't be a card. Is that an expression? You're an expression! Well, I don't see how that's... <laughs> Ow, my nose! That's right. And now take this! And one of these, and a few more like that. Yeah, that's right. I lost in the ring, and I need to prove I'm a man now. Shut up, Dad. I'd prefer it if you didn't. Now see here, that's going to mean a serious medical bill for me, and come, 
come now. This is the new suit. And as for your camera and this so-called inseminating evidence... I, I'm certain nobody's so-called it that. This is what I think of your camera. <clears throat> That's unfortunate. I was rather fond of it myself. Now then, Ursula, I'll be on my way to do whatever it is I damn well please with whoever... Whomever. Whoever I want. I'll be home. Or maybe I won't. So long, baby. Well, that could have gone better. I can't. I mean, I never meant for you to be put through this, mister. Oh, God, under the circumstances, can't I please call you Mortimer now? Mr. Dulcimer will still do, thanks. We need to get you to a hospital. Yes, that, that would be advisable. If you wouldn't mind helping me to my feet. Except, wait, what's this? Which? It's a matchbook. Todd must have dropped it when he was roughing you up. <coughs> oh, <clears throat> that's what was caught in my throat. It's a tooth. <laughs> that's not where that belongs at all. This matchbook is from La Harangue Rouge. I bet that's where Todd's been disappearing with that sour twist. As I understand it, Mrs. Todlick, the word twist is considered the most offensive possible appellation for a young woman. I stand by it. Yes, in any event, it may behoove us to seek a taxi or other motorized conveyance to get me to the aforementioned hospital. There's no time for that. We've got to get back to La Harangue Rouge right away. If he's going right back to shacking up with that hussy, I want to get proof before he decides to blow town altogether. <coughs> Very well. <laughs> I suppose the customer is always right. The ensuing chase did not end up taking us to La Harang Rouge. Something in me sort of assumed it wouldn't. But we did visit an exceptionally high number of establishments that I would consider disreputable at best. For the better part of that evening, we visited dive bars, seedy hotels, a dishonest-to-goodness opium den, and what appeared to be an exclusive orgy club for millionaires. I took careful note of all illegal activities I witnessed, with every intention of reporting said activities to the proper authorities when my business was concluded. I'm relatively certain that at least one of my ribs had been fractured, if not completely broken, in my encounter with Mr. Todlick. But Mrs. Todlick was very insistent that we continue despite any discomfort either of us may be experiencing. She, for her part, seemed completely absent of discomfort, but it was noble of her, just the same, to volunteer me to heroically persevere. It was daybreak when we finally returned to my office, or more accurately, what was left of my office. Oh, oh my god, what happened here? It seems that someone has ransacked my office in my absence. Oh, it's horrible. They've broken your windows, destroyed your furniture. Indeed. They appear to have cleaned out everything of value in my desk as well. Who would do such a thing? Who indeed? What does that mean? It means, Mrs. Todlick, if that is indeed your name, which I'm nearly 100% convinced it isn't, that I've been the victim of what you would likely refer to colloquially as a scam. How dare you? No, I don't think so. I think if anyone in this room deserves to utter that melodramatic cliché, it is I. It, it is me? I? Me? I, I've never been entirely clear on that one, despite my extensive schooling. You can't possibly think that I had anything to do with this 
Mortimer, darling. I have told you three times now we don't have the kind of relationship where I'm comfortable being addressed by my first name. And we certainly don't have that kind of relationship. Remove your hands from there immediately. I just don't know what you want. What I want is for you to end this charade. I am fully aware that I've been played for, as you would probably say, a sap. But I don't believe you realize the extent to which I realized that. Uh, uh, What exactly? I am, uh, as has been previously established, exceptionally well-versed in criminal methodology. It was apparent to me from the moment you entered this office that your true intention was to keep me distracted, and more importantly, out of my rather elegantly appointed office, to allow the man you claim is your husband, and quite probably the chippy with whom you claim he's shacking up, to enter said office and burglarize same. What gave it away? (laughs) Oh my, everything. Really? We were that obvious? Please step away from the window. Thank you. Yes, literally everything you've said and done since you came in here telegraphed your motives. That bar we went off looking for, La Hering Rouge, it's French for red herring. Were you even trying? I thought that one was pretty clever, actually. I dare say you did. You probably also believed you were being clever when you emphasized the words rich and loaded to, well, let's just call him your husband, whether or not he actually is, just for the sake of simplicity. As it happens, he is. First you told him, in no uncertain terms, that I was, in your eyes, affluent. Then you told him, using more of what we will laughingly call your code, that my office was locked and that the address could be found on a card inside my jacket. I always carry spare business cards in my suit jacket pocket, and I noticed that one of them was missing following my encounter with your husband, as well as the key to my office. Caught on to that, did you? Of course, he didn't start to rough me up, as you would say, until you'd told him that I was unarmed. But then knowing he could have unfettered access to a luxurious office filled with pawnable assets, and knowing that you had every intention of keeping me distracted with an absurd wild goose chase, he proceeded to pummel me senseless. Say, this guy ain't such a bad detective after all. (gasps) But you know what would be better than droning on and on about you getting the stuffing tore out of you? A demonstration. (laughs) What the? Darling, be careful. Oh! Todd, what's he done to you? Down for the count with only one punch. I didn't know the little guy had it in him. How on earth did you... I'm versed in a wide array of martial arts, purely for self-defense. This particular move is adapted from an ancient technique... I think he broke my back! But why did you... Why did I allow him to beat me that first time outside the boxing arena? Two reasons. First, I needed you to believe I'd fallen for your ruse in order to see your scheme played out. The police will be arriving presently. And there they come now. You can't prove any of this. Oh, but I can. Your husband made off with quite a few of my valuables, but he seems to have spared the dictaphone I keep in my desk here. I didn't know what that was. It looked heavy. I've been recording everything you've both said since we came back earlier. And two? 
too? Oh, yes, of course. The second reason I allowed Todd... Okay, seriously, your name isn't actually Todd Toddlick, right? That was just an ill-chosen nom de plume? No, that's actually my name. It's pronounced Toddlich. I thought you told him that. Well, that's just awful. Anyway, <clears throat> I, I allowed him those punches in order to size him up, so that if and when we faced off again, as we did just now... I'd have a much better idea of what to expect. Just like a boxer. Yes, it was indeed a trick I picked up watching you engage in your rather barbaric line of work. And thanks to another ancient technique in which I'm rather adept, I managed to contort my body to minimize the impact of his rather considerable blows. Why didn't she try to seduce him? Oh, she tried. Good heavens did she try. I think he's a dud or something, or maybe he's just not into dames. On the contrary, Mrs. Todlick, I'm quite into dames. In fact, I'm engaged to be wed to a woman for whom I have a rather significant fondness. I'd show you her picture, but Mr. Todlick here seems to have absconded with my antique silver picture frame. Wait, that gal in the photo was your fiancé? I thought that was a picture of Greta Garbo. Yes, she's quite lovely, isn't she? So you see, Mrs. Todlick... My love and devotion to my intended made me quite immune to your advances. You really must learn that not every man will lose his good sense if you bat your eyelashes at him. Most other men do. Now then, if we're quite finished, I believe the boys from the 6th Precinct should be reaching this floor via the elevator any second now. Right. You should both know I'll be prosecuting you to the fullest extent of the law, and now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to give a statement to the sergeant, and then I'm going to go visit my beautiful fiancé. Good day to you both. Oh, and look at that. It's just started to rain. Solving my first case was nice, but now I really feel like a proper detective. So long, use mugs. See you in the funny papers. <laughs> oh, almost forgot my hat. This episode of Sarcastic Voyage Theatre featured Mark Bosco, Christy Brannan, Brian Lynch, Kara O'Connor, Matt Robotham, Amanda Smith, Sabrina Snyder, Jason Wallace, and Ron Algar Watt. It was written by Christy Brannan and Ron Algar Watt and produced by Algar Productions, copyright 2018. 